Thank you, Brother Paul. Good morning to each of you, and greetings to you in Jesus' name this morning. Do you cherish the old rugged cross? We've been looking forward to coming back here to Bethany. We've anticipated today. And I look out here and I see a lot of familiar faces from the past 10 years. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank each of you for your part in the blessing that Bethany has been to us as a family. And I know from some encouragement and texts that I've received that you all have been looking forward to us coming back here this morning. But I hope this morning that you're not looking to me. I hope you're looking to the Lord this morning. And that you have your cup turned up to Him. And that the message this morning will be from Him to you. One of the things that impressed me when I, when I first came here to Bethany was how when they introduced the speaker and the message, they would say the message from the Lord. That's what we want this morning. We want a message from the Lord. So let's look to him this morning. I'd like to begin the message with a story. The old man trudged slowly up the mountain. The burden he carried seemed to grow heavier with each step. Glancing up, he saw that they had nearly reached the summit, and his heart nearly failed him. This mountaintop experience was one he wished he had never come, that had never come his way. This had been a difficult journey, a painful journey, not because of the traveling conditions, but because of the task that marked its end. Lost in thought, he suddenly realized that his traveling companion was speaking. Father, said the young man beside him, here is the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. I'm sure at this point you know where we're, what story we're headed for. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. I'll start reading at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 18. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place far off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to a place where God had told, which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. There's a picture here in this story. There's a picture of a father whose love was so great that he was willing to sacrifice his only son He was willing to take the knife to slay his son. And I believe he was willing to follow through. And this picture is depicting another picture. In Abraham's, the one in Abraham's prophetic message, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Someone asked me some time ago, Why does your religion use the cross as a symbol? They said the cross is a a horrible thing. Why do you lift that up? So I ask you the question this morning, what is the cross to Christianity? Is it something to hang around your neck? Is it something to put on your bumper? Is it a bumper sticker? What is the cross to you? What is the cross to me? The title of the message this morning is The Call of the Cross. Ask Brother Paul to lead that song, The Old Rugged Cross, because there's some, some things in that song that I want us to think about this morning. In verse 1, it calls the cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And you know, our natural man shrinks back from the cross. The pain and agony of the cross. The cross is an instrument of death. And it was such a horrible instrument of death that eventually the Romans outlawed it as cap- as for, use, for its use in capital punishment. 
Verse 2, it says that the cross is despised by the world. It goes on to say, talk about its shame and reproach. And the world rejects the cross. They reject the shame and reproach that comes with the reality of what the cross represents. The song talks about it being stained with blood. The suffering of the cross. Something that the world rejects. It wants to stay away from. It doesn't want to be involved with the suffering of the cross. That's how the world sees the cross. But Jesus voluntarily chose the cross. He said in John 10, 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. In Matthew 26, 38, he says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Even though it meant horrible suffering, and Jesus recognized that suffering, and and he, like us, his flesh shrank back from that suffering. But he voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father, to what he knew God's will was. In the line of, of the song we just sang, where it says, despised by the world, it says, has a wondrous attraction to me. It's referring to the Christian. Has a wondrous attraction to me. What do we see in the cross of Jesus? We see his love, Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross to the Christian, the cross of Jesus to the Christian is, a, is an emblem of love, sacrificial love. We see forgiveness and redemption, Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1, 18. Forasmuch as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. To the Christian, the cross is a symbol of suffering love. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Do you believe that this morning? Is that what the cross is to you this morning? The cross of Jesus. Let's sing in the hymns of the church number 245. When I survey the wondrous cross, what is the scene that comes to your mind when you think about the cross of Jesus? 
If you had been there that day when he was crucified, had you followed the crowd to Calvary and saw him fall under the weight of the cross, seen the nails driven through his feet and hands, and yet heard his words of forgiveness, had you experienced the darkness and heard his cry, it is finished. What would you have been looking at? What, what do you see in your mind as you picture that scene? How many crosses do you see in that scene? Do you see one? No, there's three crosses in that scene. There's three crosses on that hill. Brothers and sisters, this morning, Christianity is not a comfortable religion. It's a call to a cross of suffering love. And we cannot separate Christianity from that cross. There were three crosses on that hill. And that idea is not particularly a, a theological statement, but I want to draw some parallels from the other two crosses this morning. That coming to the cross of Jesus is more than just coming to a cross where God did all the work. It's coming to a cross for me. If I would be his disciple. You see, CAM has a billboard that says, Real Christians obey Jesus' teaching. And, and we get some calls on that billboard. And who do you think it is that has a problem with what that billboard has to say? It's Christians. That's right. It's not the atheists. It's not the unbelievers. You know what they say? They say, if that's what Christianity was like, I would actually appreciate it. But because that's not what it's like, I don't appreciate it. Because they, people don't believe that they, Christians don't believe they need to follow Jesus. But you know what the Christians say? Some Christians, not all Christians, but you know what some Christians say? They say something like this. You are teaching a legalistic works gospel. Why is that significant? I think it's because much of modern Christianity only believes in one cross. And I'm not minimizing the cross of Jesus when I say that. But they do not believe in a cross for me. And what did Jesus teach? And now I have another question for you. Is that one cross view affecting what we believe? And if it is, what does that mean? And that's part of my burden for the message this morning. Am I fully committed to follow Jesus? Am I fully committed to the way of the cross? 
When I think about coming to the cross of Jesus, do I simply think about coming to something that is free and costs me nothing? What does the Bible say? I believe if we lose an understanding from the gospel of a cross for me, we'll lose Christianity as it was meant to be. And I know in our world where everything is so pleasant and it's so easy for us to justify our fleshly pursuits, I understand that reality as I experience it in my own life. But what did Jesus call us to? I want us to look at that this morning. So we looked at cross number one, the cross of Jesus. Cross number two, we're going to call that the thief who rejected Jesus. And then cross number three, the thief who accepted Jesus. So we're going to look at cross two. The cross of the thief who rejected Jesus. His cross meant a permanent death. He was going to go into eternity and experience a second death. I'd like to compare that this morning to the old man. Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, Paul is laying out here in Romans chapter 6 the conversion experience. And uh, in verse 6 he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the New Testament here is, is saying that for New Testament conversion to happen, there has to be a crucifixion. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. The cross is an instrument of death. That old man must be crucified to experience, verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. To be freed from sin, there must be a death. You see, Passover was a type of conversion. The first Passover in the land of Egypt. The the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage. And the, the lamb was slain to provide them, to keep them from dying, a physical death. But they could not stay in Egypt and be free. They had to reject the life that they had lived in Egypt previously. They had to leave that life. We were in bondage to sin. The blood of Christ can bring us forgiveness, but there must be a rejection, a complete rejection, a death of the life that we lived before. 
Jesus is not interested in a partial commitment when we come to him, when we come to his cross. I'll give you an example of that. When I proposed to Dana, she said, yes, I'll marry you. And she said, I like where I live and I like my family and I'll marry you, but I'll just come see you when it's convenient. And you think I accepted that? Of course not. I wasn't interested in that kind of a commitment. I was interested in a complete commitment where she left her home and went to live with me. Now, that's not actually what happened. But it, it, it's pretty obvious when we think about it that way that Christ is calling a bride out of the world. And he's not interested in, in a commitment where we keep our old life and just do what's convenient for us. No. He's calling us to a, to a complete place of death. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he was trying to follow God. But Jesus put his finger on an area of the young man's life where he was not willing to surrender. He was not willing to give up. Coming to the cross of Jesus demands my life. Do you think about the last line of that song that we just sang? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God is not interested in less than a complete commitment to him. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. There's finality in that. He cannot be my disciple. Notice in those illustrations that Jesus used, there was an initial consideration of the project it was a looking forward to see will I accept this will I accept the expense that comes with this or do I not have what it takes and then there's a decisive decision yes or no there's no middle ground in this decision it has to be all or none in verse 26 that I just read it says Everything about me, everything pertaining to life that I have known to this point. A complete crucifying of who I was to become a disciple of Jesus. 
Now, I want to look back again at that passage in, in Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. I already mentioned that crucifixion is death. Why? And it, it, then it explains why in that same verse. That the body of sin might be destroyed going forward, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And then verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You see, if there's no death, there's no freedom from sin. New Testament conversion is a complete surrender of my life. It's a complete giving of myself. It's a crucifixion. And I believe that we do ourselves a disservice if we tell people that it's anything less than that. When, when someone is considering following Jesus Christ, they need to understand that it has to be a complete commitment. There is no middle ground. There's no partial commitment. It's either everything or nothing. Or we are not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. And neither will we give them freedom from sin. I think that's significant. Is this where the cross ends? At that initial commitment, that initial surrendering of everything? No, the cross is an ongoing experience in the life of the believer. Let's consider that from cross number three, the thief who accepted Jesus. He died in his flesh, but he went on to life in the spirit. There's an ongoing cross in the experience of the follower of Jesus. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 8. So in Romans 6, Paul deals with the, with the new birth experience. In chapter 7, he relates to the law. And then in chapter 8, he talks about the life of the believer. I'm going to start reading in chapter, in chapter 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you... He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So it talked in Romans 6 about a crucifixion. And then it comes here in 7... I mean, in 8, and it says, ye are not in the flesh, meaning that your life is not contained, or the life that you have as a Christian is not a fleshly life. It's not a flesh-centered life. It is a spirit-centered life. But it goes on to say then in 12, in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye will die. So that spirit-centered life is going to die 
if we live in the flesh or follow the flesh after we become a Christian. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What does that mortify mean? That means put to death. See, that's a cross too. Jesus talked about that cross in the passage I just read. Actually, yeah, here we go. Verse 27 of Luke 14. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then Luke 9.22 say, says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected the elders and priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. You see, going back to the, to the Israelites, they, they went out of Egypt. And, and they left Egypt. They left that bondage. And they were traveling through the wilderness. And they were tempted in the wilderness. And as they went around the land of Edom, they got discouraged. And they got discouraged other times too. But this, is, this specific one's the one I want to look at. Uh, and they spoke out against Moses and they spoke out against God. And basically they said, you brought us out here to die. And uh, we wish we'd have stayed in Egypt. And God sent serpents. You know the story. God sent serpents, and they bit the people, and the people started to die from, these, from the bite of the serpent. And Moses put a serpent of brass on a pole and lifted it up, and when they looked at that serpent in faith, they were healed from that bite. They had left Egypt. They had experienced the Passover. The New Testament says they were all baptized in the cloud and in the sea. But they were going to die as a result of turning away from God. Turning away from the journey. They said, we want to go back. And you know, we've all experienced that. We've experienced the bite of sin. And that sin is going to, will cause our death. It will cause death. Sin causes death. But in faith, we can come to the cross of Jesus and be healed. Praise the Lord. But we cannot go back to Egypt. We cannot stay where we are. We must go on. We must continue the journey. They couldn't stop there in the wilderness. They had to go on if they were going to get to the promised land. We must go on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You see that? We put off those deeds that went along with the old life, and we put on the new man who's directed by the Spirit of God. And that is a cross. That means we're going to have to mortify those, those members which are upon the earth. We're going to have to put them to death. Not my will, but thine be done. What is the purpose of the cross? You know, the cross of Jesus had a purpose. And it was to fulfill the will of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we talk about wanting to know what the will of God is. What the will of God is that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the work of Christ made it possible for us to come to repentance. God's will is not a selfish will. It's a self-sacrificing will. It's not, the purpose of the cross is not to, just to destroy the bad things in our lives. That's part of it. But it's so that we can fulfill the will of God. The cross makes it possible for, for us to fulfill the will of God. To bring us to a place where we can. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what purpose? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. His will is good. His will is perfect. That's what the cross is taking us to. It's taking us to a good and perfect will. It's taking us to a place and putting ourselves in the hands of someone who judges righteously. In 1 Peter 2.23, it uses the example of Jesus. It says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges, judgeth righteously. Now, I'm bringing that up because when we surrender to the cross, it means... It means a loss of control for us. And, but this is what we're giving ourselves to. We're giving ourselves into the control of someone who judges righteously. 
and so much more righteously than we can ever judge, so much more perfect than we can ever be, and so much more good than we are. And that's what we're surrendering to when we come to the cross and when we surrender ourselves to the cross. This message was inspired by two experiences that I had, and uh, I'd like to share those with you. The first one is what I call the nail-pierced hand. A couple years ago, I was facing a decision, and it really wasn't a right or wrong decision. There were three options, and, and they weren't seeing. Either one of them was not seeing. But I was really wrestling with this and wondering, what is God's will? How can I determine what God's will is? And I was praying about this as I worked. and God gave me a picture in my mind of these three options. And on the side of one of those options was a nail-pierced hand. And I immediately shrank back and said, well, I'll choose one of the other ones. And the Holy Spirit said, that would be stepping around the cross. And I realized immediately that that was the choice I had to make. I committed myself to it. Am I committed to following the way of the cross in my life. That's my desire, to follow the cross, the way of the cross, even though it may mean suffering and death. Second story came from the life of Abraham, the experience of Abraham there on the mountain of Moriah. I'd gotten involved in, in something that I felt like the Lord had lead it, led me into, and as I, was, as I was involved in it, I realized that it was starting to have a pull on my life, like it wanted to, it wanted to, to draw me in and, and consume me and consume what I felt like was maybe more than it should be in my life, that it was getting more priority than what it should have. And so I started to wonder, should I just get out? Should I just quit this? And I just, I really wrestled with that question. It was something I really enjoyed. And I was wrestling with that, and, and the burden was, was there, and it got so heavy that I was just like, Lord, I'm done. I was rocking one of my sons to sleep, and, and I just said, Lord, I'm just done with this. I just want to do your will. I don't care. And immediately, he gave me a mental picture of Abraham standing at the altar with the knife raised, ready to slay his son. And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and it said, I don't want the sacrifice, I want your love. And that, I believe, brothers and sisters, is what God is calling us to through the cross. He's calling us to a surrendered love to Him. We may have to give up some things. We may need to give up some things. But what God really wants is your love. And He showed us the way through His cross. The cross is an intentional choice 
that we make. It's an intentional decision to follow God. Are you willing to follow the cross wherever it leads? I believe, brothers and sisters, that if, if we don't see if we see the Christian life as anything less than a continual surrender to the cross, to Jesus Christ, our lives laid out before God so that He can use them however He wants to. That's not the gospel that Jesus taught. If we see it as anything less than that. I have one more point from the story of Abraham. Let's turn to Hebrews 11. In the text we read in Genesis, <clears throat> Abraham said that um, to the young man, he said, Abide you here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Why did he say that? Why did he say that they would return, that him and the lad would return? The answer to that question is in chapter 11 here, verses 17 through 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that, had he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. You see, <clears throat> Abraham believed God. And God had said, in verse 18, God had said that Isaac would be the son who would produce the promised descendants from Abraham. Abraham knew that. And as he was climbing that mountain, he believed that God was able to still produce that seed from Isaac. And as a result of that, he said to these men, he said, we're going to go up there and worship, and we're going to come back down with full intentions to slay his son and a full belief that God was able to raise him up from the dead. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. That is faith. You see, Abraham believed that there was life beyond the cross. God has promised us life beyond the cross, not just life, Life and life more abundant. The way of the cross is the way to power. It's the way to freedom from sin. It's the way to life. To come short of the cross is to come short of power and freedom and life. And that is the call of the cross. It's a call to freedom and power and life. Shall we have a song?